Hey, this is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women and your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You podcast where you're gonna learn everything you need to know about dating relationships, sex, and men from a man's point of view. And today, I have a very special guest. She is a friend of mine. I've wanted to have her on for a long time. Uh, no, no kidding. Uh, ever since this podcast began, I've been talking about with her about having her on. She's famously private. So I had to do a little bit of arm twisting to get her here today. Her name is Talia Goldstein. She's the CEO and founder of Three Day Rule. It's a matchmaking company that is uh, national, which is a very rare thing. Usually matchmakers are solo operations and you know one, one woman in a city and uh, Talia's different. Uh, she, she got an investment from Match.com back in 2014. She's got partnerships with Match, OKCupid, okay, J-Date, Christian Mingle, The League. She's appeared on Good Morning America, uh, been in Fortune, USA Today, the LA Times, the Huffington Post. And her mission is to make a difference in people's lives. And she has found matches for hundreds of clients, including top executives, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and everyday young professionals. Uh, furthermore, Talia lives here in Los Angeles with her husband and two children and is a perfect example of, from my perspective, of a woman who's done it all right uh, and uh, is, is really living the dream. And I think I want to spend a little bit of time, if Talia will let me, talking about her <laughs> and not just her business, because I think as a smart, strong, successful woman, she's got something to offer uh, in that regard. But we'll begin today with uh, talking about uh, the three day, uh, her, her company, Three Day Rule. Talia, thank you for appearing on the Love You podcast. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. Good stuff. Um, why matchmaking when you could be doing anything, right? You have this whole background and other stuff and you go into what is, what, the world's second oldest profession? <laughs> I mean I never thought it could be a profession. I was just always matchmaking for fun. In high school, I would throw these blind date parties. And when I was working as a television producer, I was setting people up for fun. I never imagined that this would be my career. But at some point, I realized I had a talent and so many people were interested in my services that I decided to take a leap of faith and start my own matchmaking company. But you didn't just start a matchmaking company because anybody Really, uh, the same as dating coaching. You you get off the phone. Anybody who's listening can get off. The, you stop listening to this podcast. Go to a blog. Call yourself a dating coach, and congratulations, you're a dating coach. Anybody could call themselves a matchmaker, but you found a way to do this differently. Why why go into this business and take this passion and scale it where you've got people in what twenty cities or something like that? <laughs> Close nine. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, either way, most most matchmakers work locally, and the fact that you've been able to build a business and and get women matchmaking for you in different cities is is an incredible accomplishment. A lot of people have been trying to crack this. Mm -hmm. Well, the truth is that it really did start as this small company in LA, and I took on several clients. I matched them successfully. They would tell ten of their friends, and those people would tell ten more, and it started growing rapidly based on demand. And I began to hear stories from people in San Francisco and New York, and they wanted my help too. So I had an aha moment where I realized this could be much bigger than just a small company in LA. And I decided to take it really far. So I took a lot of steps in between. I learned about technology. I went through an incubator program that gave me advisors to help me scale. I went to match.com and I figured out how to get it national. 
and and what what's the most uh, immediate result of that? I mean, you, you start as a, a small business, and then suddenly you've got uh, you've got uh, individuals, if not offices, in all of these these cities. How does that change your job? It changed it dramatically. I mean, I started in this business to be a matchmaker, and probably ten percent of my job now is matchmaking. I still work with a few clients a year, but now I'm running a business. So I'm very much a CEO. I have to you know, manage 50 employees and deal with finance and legal, and there's so much more to it. It's not exactly what I intended when I got started, but I love it and I'm learning so much. Um, tell me about the women who come to you, because again, I'm, I'm a dating coach for, for women. Um, our, our, our listenership is going to be primarily women. Who are the women who reach out to Three Day Rule and why do they turn to you instead of uh, either another matchmaker or, um, or you know, sticking around on a dating site? Well, 60% of our clients are women. So we do work with a lot of female clients. And I think part of the reason is because we're really empowering and we don't come at it from, uh, we don't try to scare anyone. You know, we're here to be on your team. We work really closely together for six months. We're part of the journey. And our matchmakers, they are successful individuals. They came from corporate America. So we've all been in our client's shoes. Our clients are successful, attractive professionals who don't have a lot of time to date or are exhausted by the apps and they want to outsource. And so um, when someone comes to you, what what is their what is their user experience, right? I mean, uh, this is this is a uh, this is scary, right? It's an investment of, uh, of money. It's a big leap of faith. I'm going to have a stranger who barely knows me uh, handle the most important aspect of my life. Uh, but I know people get burnt out in online dating. They don't, they, it, they don't trust their judgment uh, and they'd rather have a more personal curated experience. So what is it, what is it like um, for someone who, who goes through your process and how does it feel for a customer? Mm-hmm. It's very much a journey. So somebody will sign up with us, we meet with them in person, we really get to know them and what they're looking for. Then we go back to our database and we find potential matches that could be a great fit for our client. And we go and meet those matches in person as well and really get a feel for them. When we find somebody that truly is a match, we set them up with our client, they go on a date, and after they give us feedback. And I think one of the most valuable parts of our service is that you get to hear what you're like on dates. You know, a lot of people are, being ghosted left and right and they have no idea why. So we use the feedback and we help our clients and a lot of times the smallest tweaks can make a really big difference in their dating game. And we figure out who they really should be with. A lot of our clients come to us at the beginning wanting X, Y, and Z and we pair them with someone pretty different and they go on to get married. And it's a process, we have to figure out what you need versus what you want and we work really closely together to figure that out i uh i love everything you're saying right now it it really resonates with me as a coach uh and i'd love for you to elaborate on the feedback portion of things Mm -hmm. um because you are in a unique position where you're uh, you're a neutral source and you're hearing from the man and the woman about what happened on the date Right, uh, 
uh, you get to be ob objective. Um, what's an example of the kind of feedback that a, 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 a woman would get that she's doing something, again, I, I'm, I'm using finger quotes, you know, doing something wrong that she didn't even realize how she was coming across and how one thing you said uh, opened things up for her. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of examples. One big one is that the girl is interviewing the guy. So what she's trying to figure out is, is this guy going to be a great father? Does he make enough money? Does he, you know, uh, how is he wanting to raise his kids? So there, she's asking too many questions and it feels like an interview and uncomfortable. And it's really hard to get a spark when you're in a date in that way. And a lot of times we're really bridging the gap. Like actually both parties really liked each other, but they didn't think the other person did. So they don't ask, the guy doesn't ask the girl out for a second date. So we're able to say, no, actually she really did like you. She just didn't express it and she would like to go on a second date. So girls are guarded sometimes and the guy doesn't understand that she was interested in him. I, uh... <laughs> I, I'm so glad you said it. I, you know, I, uh, I haven't dated in, in over 10 years. Today's my ninth anniversary, actually. Oh, wow. Um, so I haven't dated in over 10 years. And I only remember what I remember from my history. And, only from, and I only keep abreast of it from listening to my clients. Women tell me what's going on. And so it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes. When I hear you telling this, the, these two stories, right, um, about women being interviewing men uh, for the part of husband on the first date, right, uh, and being, being concerned about being, uh, getting hurt, and so she doesn't, she doesn't show much affection, she's not that effusive, she, and so a guy has no idea where he stands. Those are things that I, I've been talking about for years but I didn't. I don't have any anything to back me up. It's just it's just my experience from a long time ago. So um, I think it's I think it's just it, 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 it's useful for any woman to hear that you should not try to read the last page of the book before you read the book. You you need to just stay present on the date and have a good time instead of trying to figure out if he's your soulmate and what's wrong with him. And uh, it's important to give a guy signals that he's doing a good job. Because uh, if he doesn't get the signals, he's going to have no idea that the date went well. Um, and so, so uh, what are things that that are the biggest things that men should learn? What are what are their biggest blind spots? Mm -hmm. uh, I think a couple that we hear often: a guy will shake a girl's hand when he's meeting her or when he's leaving, and girls feel like it's a business meeting, or he'll meet her at a coffee shop where it's really bright and again feels like a business meeting. So a lot of them, they're not chivalrous anymore. And I think that's really missing in dating today. The guys that are stand such a better chance. So they definitely are doing things as well. It's not just the women. Um, so what do you do with that? Do you, how, do you, how do you teach? We do a lot of coaching. So each client gets a matchmaker and they also get a separate date coach that they can dig deeper on um, some of their challenges, but just that knowledge makes a huge difference. So if you know that your 
hard to read on dates, then you're gonna make more of an effort. And so it isn't a little bit of an iterative process where we practice on dates, but by the end, they are so much more confident in dating and they also know the type of person that they should be dating. How do people respond to feedback? Because I, I would think that they may know what they're signing up for. It's still hard to hear. I know one of the, the biggest challenges matchmakers fake, face is, hey, uh, you know, I paid you X thousand dollars just to hand me my my husband, right? right. <laughs> I didn't I didn't come here for a self improvement course. I'm fine. Just you know, I can't find a good guy. Mm-hmm. So so how do you offer feedback to people who aren't necessarily requesting feedback? Right. Well, a couple of things. One, we work really closely with our clients, so. We are their friends and they trust us. So they end up taking feedback pretty well. There are some times where they get defensive and they'll say, no, I'm actually not doing that. I'm doing this, this, and this, but I know it's registering and it will, you know, come into play working with us or months after. And I think it's really important that we deliver the feedback as part of our service and I hope they take it to heart. Got it. uh, now, on a on a broader scale, right? Are, are are you are you competing with or almost aided by the rise of dating apps? Are, are apps essentially the justification for matchmaking? Like, if you're sick of being swiped, you know, left on Tinder or being ghosted by a, some cute stranger who texts you once a week, come to us. Mm-hmm. I consider us. A date, part of a dating portfolio. Like I see us as a VIP layer above the dating sites, but we work really closely with them. So I always encourage the clients to do something, to stay online, whether you know that's Bumble or Coffee Meets Bagel, whatever it is. They should be doing something, but not everybody feels comfortable online. So some of our clients do nothing, they've never been online, and some of them continue using it while they work with us. But what they gain from us really helps them online. So I think, especially for women, a lot of them are looking for the wrong things. You know, they have this checklist of everything that they want in a guy over six feet tall, making a certain amount of money, Ivy League educated. And so they're swiping left on all these people that actually could be their soulmate. And so we work really closely with them on what truly is a priority and to open your mind. And then when they're online dating, they have better success. Um. Yeah, it's sort of a, 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 it dovetails with the stuff that we're talking about here. Um, how do you get someone to distinguish between their, I mean, I have a whole exercise in Love You about helping people distinguish between their wants and their needs, but how do you get someone to move off of these preconceived ideas of what their partner should look like or be like? Be like? Um, because mm-hmm. Belief beliefs are pretty deeply held. I mean, sometimes it's like trying to argue, trying to convince someone that two plus two equals five. How? What's a good example of a, of a time that you got someone to open up um, and had success? Mm-hmm. It, it happens every single day. So, an example that happened this week: I was working with this male client. He's forty-seven. He really wants a family, and he asked me to only find him women in their early thirties. And we started that process, and. I found a woman who's 43, meets exactly what he's looking for. I said, trust me, I think she's worth meeting. I know she's a little bit older than what you 
were hoping for, but I think there could be a connection. He trusted me and they've been dating now for several months and we still have conversations about it. And I truly believe without that, he would have swiped right past that person. So it truly happens on a daily basis. We'll have girls that say, I only want to date someone over six feet tall. Okay, well, 14% of men in the US are over six feet tall and probably half are single. So every time you add something like that, you're really limiting the pool. So a lot of it is conversations with the clients and really getting them to understand what they're asking for. So if they say, I only want to date guys up to 40, I'll respond and say, if I found the perfect guy and he's 41, are you going to say no? And they'll say, oh no, I'll say yes. Okay, well then increase your filters online to increase your chances. I want to hug you. <laughs> I hope that's not too Harvey Weinstein. I, 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 it, literally, these are the same words that come out of my mouth. And I'm, I'm, it, it's so nice to know that there, there are other people who are taking up that mantle for the practical compromises that make for uh, a successful relationship. So let me, let me ask, what compromise did you make to get married? <laughs> oh, man. I'm really going to get into trouble here. You shouldn't get into trouble. This is, this is a place where we can tell the truth. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and I hope my husband doesn't listen. I always wanted someone really funny, and I would date these sort of comedian types that would make me laugh, and I felt like they were celebrities. And when I met my husband, it took four or five dates for me to see that he had a funny side. And if I had decided on the second date he wasn't for me, he wasn't funny, I really would have missed out on such a great guy. So I can tell now, you know, we have, he has a great sense of humor. He's so funny in writing, but it took a while to get there. So I always encourage the girls to give guys a second shot or a third shot if you're remotely attracted to them and they seem like a nice person because you might be missing things on those first few dates. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to share that um, because I don't know a single happily married couple where someone didn't make uh, a sizable compromise with something that they didn't think they could compromise on. Right. Right. Like uh, if you could just, you know, run down the list of your friends or your clients, virtually everybody I know compromised on age or location or religion or something that, that, uh, that they thought was a, a deeply held belief and was really just a preference. Exactly. So many of our success stories are that way. Like another example is a girl that I worked with and she came to me and said, I only want Jewish and I don't want to date anyone in the entertainment industry. I matched with a Catholic film producer and they got married and had kids. And I, again, don't believe that she would have even given him a shot if I wasn't an advocate for him. And, and that, that makes perfect sense and 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 it's it's understanding that, that people's preferences have been sort of sharpened by their failures in the past right so if she has an, a, a, a rocky history of dating whatever jewish guys in the film industry you know whatever whatever that was you can understand why she she would come to that conclusion the problem is those the people that she dated don't represent every single person on the planet exactly like a lot of times people will say no attorneys really because you had one bad experience with an attorney no. yeah I, no i agree with everything you're saying yeah i i i um i'm trying to find something something about which we can disagree um so since you've been doing this how have you seen dating evolve 
I think it's gotten a lot harder today. In many ways, we have more options, and that's great. You're meeting people that you never would have met pre-apps, but I think it's added a layer of complexity where there's endless options, and so people are judging so quickly. Like, who cares if we, if you know, we, I got in a little fight with this person I'm seeing because there are millions of other options out there. I think they're bailing too quickly and not really giving people a fair shot. So it's it's gotten a lot harder today. I think. Um, is there a way to? How do you work around that? Right, like. It, it, even if we just acknowledge, hey, yeah, it's harder today. And I'll ask, my, my clients will say, uh, it's harder. My, my best friend who was single 10 years ago and I was single and he's still single. He's like, dude, you don't even understand. It's so much harder today. And I struggle to wrap my head around that because I want to validate people's experiences, but I also know people have always thought dating was hard. Mm-hmm. So is it if it's harder, what do we do in spite of the fact that we can't change technology or apps or people or cities, what do we do? I think the number one thing that people can do is to give people a fair shot. To go on a date, take it really seriously, be present, and if you had a pretty good time, go on another date instead of jumping ship because it wasn't perfect and going on to the next person. I think if we just spend a little more time focusing on the person that we're with and giving them a real shot, we'll see a lot more couples. Um. That sounds easier said than done, Talia. I'll be honest with you. Well, this is what I get. A lot of the girls will come back and say, I don't feel a spark, so I want to move on. And I really push them because I think it can be a red flag to feel crazy sparks on the first date. I truly believe in the slow burn. And so I push them. If you had a pretty good time and you thought he was attractive, that you should at least give him one more chance. Because I've seen so many times where people had a rough start and they ended up in a happy marriage. <coughs> I, I so want to, uh, we talked about this years ago, I so want to give you love you. <laughs> like, Because there's an exercise in there that, that helps women evaluate whether they should give a guy a second date. Mm-hmm. And the, the, for lack of a better term, the metrics that we're judging the date on are fun, comfort, and attraction. Mm-hmm. And you need to have all three, right? You can't. You, you you shouldn't go out with a guy that you didn't have fun with. You shouldn't go out with a guy you're completely not attracted to, and you shouldn't go out with a guy that you couldn't be yourself with. Mm-hmm. Right? Agree. That but, last one is so important. But but the numbers don't have to be that high. They have to be like positive. So it's a, if it's like above a five or a six or something like that in all categories. You, you give them another shot. Mm-hmm. But when you say what you're saying, I, I almost feel like they need to step in and say no no. Talia's not saying that you don't go out with a guy you're not attracted to, but rather you don't have to have that crazy 10 plus plus chemistry in order to go on a second date. As long as, hey, if this guy kissed me, I'd kiss him back. Right. (laughs) If there's something that you're interested in learning more about, go out again. Because the stakes are low. Right. Exactly. The stakes are low. People are nervous or tired. You never know what they're bringing to a first date and you don't, you'll never know if you don't give them another shot. But I feel like for most people who are purchasing my products or investing in your services, there's a, there's a, a disconnect because you and I could sit here and say, well, the stakes are low. It's just a date and it's true. But someone 
paid a lot of money for that date and they're 39 and they want to have kids and they have that date you know what i mean like it's true that it's just a date and two hours with someone isn't going to kill you but people are operating from a place of, of of fear and scarcity so it's hard for them to be blasé about up next does it make any sense yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And you're right that people are coming from different places. Someone 25 and they have all day versus somebody 38 and they really want to start a family. It's different. But I actually think the rule still applies. I think that you don't have to go on long dates. We actually never tell people to do dinner on the first date. Just grab a drink or something pretty short, like under an hour, see if you're interested. And it it is worth going on a second date. Like this could be the person you spend the next 60 years with. So while it might mean an hour now, it could mean the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I think of it as an investment rather than a waste. <laughs> right, and at the very least you learn about yourself. It is important to go into dates with an open mind and also have fun. Like the very worst case, you had a lot of fun for an hour. Like don't take it so seriously. I agree. Now, I'm gonna interject. I know this is an interview of you, but did you did you know that if I had gone on a first date with my wife, I wouldn't have gone on a second date with her? If you had gone on a first date with your wife, so I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone on a second date with her. <laughs> you have to explain. It's but but this this goes back to what we're talking about here. It's, it, it, that's why I said I, I find this whole conversation to be very uh, validating. Um, I met my wife at a party and we went home together. That was that's that was the story of how we met. Um, but if I had met her on Match.com, and we were on Match.com at the same time. Right? A, I wouldn't have chosen her because she was three years older than me. She wouldn't have chosen me because I'm Jewish, she's Catholic. So we would have, wouldn't have even given each other a chance. And if we did go on a first date, um, it would have been some form of that typical first date interview upon which I would have learned all of the ways in which we're different. Right? Uh, I would learn she comes from you know right-wing military family, um, divorced, everybody in her family is divorced, alcoholics, Catholic, uh, uh, 16 years of Catholic school. Um, she'd been cheated on by three boyfriends. She'd tell me some story that went on for like 30 minutes and had a, a hundred different tangents and never really came to an end because that's how she talks. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I could only imagine and be like, that was a really entertaining first date, but this isn't my wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, I'm saying this on my ninth anniversary, <laughs> right? <laughs> And that's how we judge people, because a date is a, is is a is sort of a different beast. It's very different. The same hour long conversation that you have with a, a stranger at a, a cocktail party is different than sitting down with that stranger and evaluating whether you're uh, you should see each other a second time and you should start having sex. Mm -hmm. Right. Does that make any sense? It does make sense, especially if you're treating the date in that way. It yeah. Again, I'm I'm not saying that's what what one should do. I'm saying, don't do what I would have done. Um, we're, we're, we're on the same page. It's very easy to pass up someone, and I don't like the word soulmate, but someone to pass up someone who may be an amazing fit for the rest of your life due to preconceived notions about who that person should be. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I'm so glad you agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with that. It's true. I mean, we take 
a lot of what we're getting from our families, who they say that we should be with. We take a lot from romantic comedies and how we think it's supposed to feel. And then it just makes it harder to find that person because we're bringing all this with us. When if you're going into it with an open mind, then your chance of finding success is so much higher. So, how long have you been married? Seven years. Okay. He was he was there bef- after this business started, but before it took off? Exactly. He, the business started originally, I was just hosting events for fun, and I had met my husband, and he was our, photograph- our photographer, so he would come and take pictures of everyone. So he's been really supportive through this journey, mm-hmm. and it was exactly the type of person I needed with me along this journey. Okay. Um, who's more opinionated? Oh, we are both equally opinionated. But yeah. I will say something about meeting him, that advice that I give to girls. I did all the work. I walked into a holiday party and I saw him across the room and I thought, oh, this guy's cute. I turned to my friend next to me. I said, you bring that guy over here right now. And he went and grabbed my husband. My husband had no idea what was happening and brought him over. I said, hi, I'm Talia. It's so nice to meet you. And basically I orchestrated the whole thing. And I feel like a lot of times girls are waiting around you know, they're traditional, they want the guy to ask them out, but I've seen so much success in women asking guys out online or at an event, like you, you really don't have anything to lose. So I'm a, I t- completely believe in women being proactive. I, I, wanna, I wanna piggyback on that. I, I think it's a great story, it's a perfect example. Um, and I wanna just make a slight distinction. Um, I think women should be proactive as well in terms of what you did was put yourself in the position to get asked out. You saw something that you wanted and you, you, you made something happen. Uh, but I'm, and I could be mistaken, I'm assuming he still asked you out. Right, so I should clarify, you're right. I think it's important to be proactive and do what you can to get the first date, but then you can go back to being traditional. So I got him, I was proactive and you're right. He asked for my number and he took the lead after that. I was just opening the door. And, and that's the exact same way I feel about online dating, where I think it's great for a woman to initiate contact with a man to say something witty that makes him laugh. But it's not your job, in my opinion, to say, you're really cute. I bet you got a lot of attention on here. Uh, please check out my profile. Here's my number. What are you doing on Friday night? Like, you don't have to do all the work for him. You just have to put yourself in the position for him to take the lead. Is right. at least that's my opinion, and it's you want a guy to have something invested in you. Uh, it's not a game, but he does need to work for it. You can't just hand it to him. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. There are certain situations where you can. You're right. Every, every example I'm about to think of is opening the door for them to say yes. Let's do that together. Well, there's a there's a term that I've heard used in relationships for for women, and it's called overfunctioning where she wants the relationship so bad she props she essentially props it up herself it's like she's breathing life into a dead body so mm-hmm. guy does nothing and she calls and plans and you know oh what are you doing this weekend i got his tickets to this thing and like if she stopped the whole thing would collapse mm-hmm. i've definitely seen that right and the guy's like oh sure she's making all these plans and we're having fun and we're hooking up so sure right but left to his own devices he wouldn't pick up the phone for her mm-hmm. Right. 
and she somehow suspects that, which is why she she keeps it going, right? So she's the one who's like juggling plates, and the guy is almost a passive participant in his relationship because she's the one who wants it. And so I think it's important for women to, as as you said, uh, be proactive and help create your own destiny, but uh, take the time to to lean back and 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 let him court you and call you and make plans and follow up and pay and do all those things that that uh, an interested man should do. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Okay. Once again, <laughs> n- not 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 the the most controversial podcast we've ever had. <laughs> I'll um, find you on something. No, it's all right. I, I'm 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 poking. I'm trying to see where where we have points of disagreement. Um, what was the last thing you and your husband fought about? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> what do we fight about? I think like how to discipline our son is one of them. We have a son who is pretty wild mm-hmm. and he's tougher than I am. So the great we we're able to have conversations about it. I was thinking about this today actually. It is really important to find a partner where you can deal with conflict together and you have similar fighting styles. Like, I think, fortunately I found a partner, we have very similar fighting styles and things don't escalate. We have conversations and we're able to move forward. But I have dated people in the past where it didn't work out because they yelled and I don't do well with yelling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yelling doesn't solve anything. It's just the same conversation, louder um, and more attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people it's. I'm used to that. I think a lot of it has to do with how you were raised. Some people, it's, it's how they were raised, so it's not as big of a deal. Sure. Um, how long were you with your husband until he proposed to you? About two years. Two years. Did that feel like about the right amount of time? It did. It felt like the right amount of time, and we had a similar timeline. So there wasn't. I didn't have to do an ultimatum or anything. You were, things. but you were younger, right? I mean, you're, you're still you're still you're still younger than I am. But but you weren't in any uh, desperate rush. You ended up having kids before you turned forty, unlike we us. Right. Yes. I I feel fortunate that I was I got married at thirty. I had kids, two kids, and yeah, I didn't feel too rushed. But I know that is very fortunate. How do you juggle work, motherhood, and being a wife? It is not easy. I mean, I look at it kind of as this pie where a slice goes to my kids, a slice goes to my husband, a big slice goes to work, and I really try to get a little slice in for me. I know that when I am able to work out for 20 minutes, it makes a huge difference. So that's the hardest part is finding time for yourself. And mm-hmm. it is a really important piece. So I'm working on that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got a blog post going up uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll, it'll already be up. And it was in, in reference to that Harper's Bazaar piece about uh, emotional labor. Have you seen that? No. Oh, gosh, it's, uh, my blog post is called Why Married Women Get a Raw Deal. But <laughs> it basically talks about how women 
bear the great disproportionate burden of having to remember everything in the household. Um, and so the guy works and does his day job and the woman works and does her day, day job and she comes home and she is the one who's responsible for getting the kids dressed and packing the lunches and remembering uh, to sign the form for school and making sure their homework gets done and taking out their clothes for the next day and right. So yeah. the, the woman's work is never done. Like when, when I'm done with work, my, my work is mostly done at the end of my work day. And uh, working women uh, have essentially the job as a, of, a, of whatever your day job is and the same job as a stay-at-home mom and the husband doesn't carry that weight with him uh, as greatly. Is, is, that, is that your experience at all? Again, I'm not trying to, to yeah. throw your husband under the bus. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it, this article got shared like 850,000 times <laughs> because it was so accurate. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's something that I talk a lot about with my female clients. I am not in that situation. I really wanted to find somebody who was a true partner and not everybody wants that. My husband comes home, we do bedtime and bath time with the kids together and then we go back to work, but he is a true partner. And one question I ask women all the time is, what would you prefer? If you only had these two options, a guy who is really successful but travels a lot and isn't home to be with you and your kids very much, or a guy who has a pretty good job and is at home to do bath time at night with you and your kids and to help more around the house. And That's a great question. Thank you. I definitely would have, would have chosen what I did, somebody that is a true partner that helps around the house. But most women, at least the ones that I interview in LA, choose the first one. They would rather have a very successful guy who travels a lot and they say, I'll just get a nanny and I'll do it myself. So it is something that you have to ask yourself and that helps decide who you should be going on dates with. Oh, you just opened up a wonderful can of worms. I'm going to pry into your can of worms right now. <laughs> do it. My guess, and, and maybe I'm imposing my values on the situation, is that the women who would choose the guy with the great job who travels for 20 weeks a year um, are doing that theoretically because they have no idea how hard it is to be a mom. Um, and I think it explains a lot of uh, the discord and the divorce rate is women do go for guys who have everything on paper but aren't necessarily there. Um, Stephanie Kuntz talks about, uh, she's, you know, she, she writes about marriage. Um, the best qualities in a husband is, uh, does he, what is it, is he sensitive to his wife's emotional cues and does he help out with the housework and child rearing? Like those two factors make for good marriages. Mm -hmm. Right. So when someone says, no, I, you know, I'd rather have a guy who pays for everything and great. And now you're, you might as well be a single mom. Right. right. And I, I feel like if you, even if your women say, I would rather have that guy, I would still try to nudge them into trying to choose the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> it just gives me cues on who to start matching them with. Sure. Like they're probably interested in the discerning executive type, you know, versus the realistic nice guy, <laughs> you know, but it gives me a starting point as to where their heads at and what is important to them. Well, that, that, that's, that's one of the burdens that you have as a matchmaker that I don't have as a dating coach. 
um, they're paying you to hand them the people that they say they want, even if that's not that person isn't necessarily the best husband type, right? right. He's the he's the one that they want. Um, you're not responsible beyond that. And because I don't set people up, I'm always going to steer women to guys who are sensitive and emotionally available and egalitarian and uh, centered and stable and patient and all these underrated qualities that don't show up on a dating profile. No woman goes online and say, I'm looking for a guy who is centered and patient. She's looking for a guy who's six feet tall and makes six figures. <laughs> right, exactly. And it, you're right. And it is, like I said, a starting point for us because I know where they're going to end up, but sometimes we have to go on this journey together to figure that out. Yeah. So another example is a girl recently said, I want a guy who, when he walks in a room, he has swagger and everybody turns to him. And so I matched her with a data scientist to start because I needed to go in the opposite direction. And I found this really nice, good guy because I wanted her to feel what it was like to have somebody open her doors and treat her well, and maybe he's not the center of attention. I had to start there and then slowly inch my way up to someone in the middle, basically between, I'm not saying all data scientists are that way, sure. um, but between the data scientists and between sort of the agent type. And after five months, they got engaged. But I, I needed to have a starting point. So it is a journey. I know where they're going to end up, but sometimes we have to work together on that. I need to gain their trust, basically. It, it sounds, and, I, and, I, and I, I love hearing this too, that there's, there's a, a much deeper method to your madness, right? Um, there's some, something between an art and a science of matchmaking, can you articulate what that is, or is it just something that you, you, you don't, you know, you'd have to be in your shoes to really get it? But it, it sounds like there's there's something that you could explain. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an art and a science. That's correct. I mean, we have a lot of data on the back end. We have technology that helps us figure out who should be together. But it also is the matchmaker's intuition and being with people in person and feeling their energy. So it's a combination of intuition and technology that gets us to the great matches and it is also the journey like i talked about it's about working with people being on their side and getting them to open their minds over time this is not something that happens on day one that's why we work with people for six months um what's what's the most frustrating part of being a matchmaker? Mm -hmm. Ooh, where do I start? Uh, most frustrating part. I mean, I think the most frustrating part for me is when clients are not willing to open their mind. Uh, when they say, I have this amazing job and I speak five languages and I'm so incredible. I want someone even more incredible than I am. When they don't understand the big picture then it's, it's hard, but I think we chip away at that and we do eventually um, work together. But sometimes it can be really challenging when women especially are really stuck on their checklist. Why aren't men stuck on the checklist? Men typically only want three things. What we, that's what we found, that women come with a list of 75 and men typically want three things. and 
what they're looking for is someone attractive to them, someone warm and nurturing, and someone passionate about something. It doesn't matter what. It can be their career. It can be yoga. It can be animals. That's the overall theme. And so they're just they're they have a shorter checklist basically, and they. They're not as nitpicky, I would say, as the women are. We get if, the women to the, to be in a, a similar spot, but it does take time. So if you're a woman listening to this right now, right, do you feel personally indicted by that? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's your observation, right? Um, it's never good to hear, never feels good to hear something where, uh, you may fall into the trap that other women do to come in with a checklist of 75. So let's provide something validating or balancing for women. What are men's biggest blind spot uh, around dating? I think a lot of men have out of their league syndrome where mm. maybe... He's a five, he wants an eight. Exactly. Like yeah. he wants a model with a PhD. He wants... Jessica Alba to arrive on his doorstep. So I think a lot of guys are shooting for the moon. Um, and some guys are not self-aware. You know, they think they're so suave, but really they're awkward on dates. We have to work with them on that. Guys certainly have blind spots, but they're open to hearing the feedback. I think it's part of the process that they really enjoy because again, they don't see that or hear that in the real world, but they, Certainly have a lot of work to do. I, 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 I agree. There's a reason I don't coach men. <laughs> because generally they're not asking for I think they're actually relatively easy to help, but they generally don't ask for it. So the fact that they're open to hearing it from you, I think, is, is, is super valuable. Uh, are, do you find men and women are equally open to feedback, or is there a difference? I actually would say men are more open to hearing the feedback. I don't know, they, they do sometimes get defensive, but I know that it registers and it does help them. I think women sometimes are the more defensive group. But again, I, it is so valuable. And if, even if they're upset for one minute, it's worth hearing. I, I, well, I mean, that's, uh, it's like anything, any service-oriented profession, uh, your, your business, my business, um, we have no choice but to, to listen to how people receive us. We can bury our head in the sand and say, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but obviously, um, obviously it does. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely stuck on, because I've been, I, I try to figure out myself, what's the best way to offer constructive feedback in a way that doesn't hurt or doesn't feel attacking, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it's designed to help. You have no interest other than, hey, you, you paid me good money. I want to help you get happy. And if I tell you this, you have a better chance of doing so. Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, if we only hear it from one person, then we say, look, it's just one person. It's a focus group of one. Let's just see if it happens again. But if we see it two times or three times, we know it's a trend and then we can really take it seriously. But I think that the nature of matchmaking we are so close to our clients that they trust us. Yeah. We're not embarrassed by anything. We're in this together. Like, we want nothing more than for them to find success and to learn about themselves in dating. And so they really feel that and they're open to the feedback. So what is your, 
and it's always this is a journalistic type question, which I don't, I'm not, I'm not a fan of. What's your best piece of dating advice for women and men? We talked about a lot of it. I mean, for I would say my advice for both is to be open-minded, to to consider everyone a potential match, to be, you know, looking up from your phone when you're out and about, and to be open-minded. I always say your person's probably going to come in a different package than you're expecting. So I would say that's the same for both men and women. For sure. women, I would also say be proactive. What we talked about earlier, reach out to guys online and you know, don't be nervous to approach somebody at an event. And for guys to be chivalrous, that opening a door or you know, just offering to pay the bill right away, you know, doing those things really does make a difference because a lot of guys aren't doing that anymore and you can really stand out. I love it. That's great. Um, what would you recommend that our listeners do now if they wanted to learn more about 3-Day Rule? They should go to 3dayrule.com and it takes one minute to sign up and you'll be assigned a matchmaker and meet with your matchmaker in person so we can get to know you and what you're looking for. Is that is that free, that initial consultation? It's totally free. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's some serious personal attention. And how do they know if... Uh, if if your services are available in, in their city? I'll tell you the cities. Otherwise, if we're not available in the cities, then you'll be assigned a date coach and you can do the date coaching over Skype. But we're in LA, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, DC, Philadelphia, Orange County, and Silicon Valley. And Dallas is up next. Look at you go. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, uh... I'm proud of you. I'm proud of uh, where I'm watching your company go, and I, I'm just glad to be a, a, a witness to it and, and uh, a, a fan. Thank you. You're so I, hope, nice. I hope that doesn't make you uncomfortable, that I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> no, I feel the same about you. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you took time out of your schedule um, from, because uh, I, I certainly don't want to take anything from your, your business or your kids or your husband or you. <laughs> so. Given your limited amount of time, thank you for spending uh, the past uh, 50 minutes with me and uh, giving women insight in, into what it is that uh, smart, strong, successful women have to do to find lasting love and, um, and how they can learn more about three-day rules. So I really appreciate you and I hope to take you out to lunch soon. Deal. All right, my friend. Uh, as for everybody else, thank you for joining me on today's Love You podcast. My name is Evan Marquez. Next week, I am doing a... Uh, a uh, really interesting podcast on the Me Too movement. Um, uh, I've got a lot to say. Uh, I said it on a, on a recent blog post. And I want to continue that conversation, so make sure you tune in. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes in the link below. And best of all, I give away the most free dating advice on www.evanmarkkatz.com. Take my quiz on the homepage about your number one relationship challenge, and I will help you get the love that you deserve. See you again next week on the Love You Podcast. Thank you.